So our scripture passage today is in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10. But for context, we're going to read um, chapter 5, verse 21 through 6, verse 10. 2 Corinthians chapter, I'm sorry, chapter 5, 21 is where we'll start. Our focus verse is on 2 Corinthians 6, 10, but we'll give a little context here. So this is the word of God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry, but as servants of God we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying, and behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, and this is our focus verse, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. The word of our God will stand forever. <clears throat> One week ago from this very pulpit, a wise man made a profound statement when he said, life is hard. We all know the ugly truth that life in this fallen world is sometimes quite hard. <clears throat> On top of that, in the fast-paced world in which we now live, this time of year can amplify the difficulties for many people. As we go through the Christmas and New Year holidays and all the things that this entails, like gift-giving, parties, family gatherings, New Year celebrations, the intense busyness, not business, busyness. <laughs> it's so easy to just get lost in it all. For many of us, the joy and celebration of the season doesn't seem to exist at all. It could be because <clears throat> of depression or memories of family members that have passed on, maybe during this year or maybe some long time ago. It could be because of health problems, sickness, or the dire financial circumstances we are facing or any number of difficult situations being faced by those that we care about the most. These thoughts force some of us to retreat into our own shells like a turtle, 
and avoid the season as much as possible. Others reach into their pocket and pull out a smile and put it on like a mask to cover their pain. In either case, the pain and anguish remain. But God has not left us alone in our anguish. Life as a Christian contains a depth of joy that is difficult for us to fully understand or put into words. But Paul does just this in verse 10 that we read, we just read, when he describes this life as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. And again, he does this same thing in verse, in, if you were to flip over a page in your Bible to chapter 7, verse 4. I have great pride in you. I'm sorry, I'm just going to read the second half of it. He says, in all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. So sorrowful, yet always rejoicing in all of our affliction, overflowing with joy. <clears throat> So what I plan to do today is to take this image of sorrowful yet always rejoicing and I'd like to try to unpack it for you. I want us to understand it better and to see what a wonderful image this is for us to consider and meditate upon as we begin yet another new year. Even though it's the opposite of the image of Christianity that is sadly preached in many pulpits around the world. Pulpits where we are told that the size of our wallets, our health, and even that smile that we cannot seem to find are all ours, all the time, if we just have enough faith. Those people preach from a Bible that is very different from mine. My copy of God's Word is absolutely permeated with suffering, starting with the sin of our first father, Adam, and then continued from our own sins. From the suffering of all mankind to the suffering of all creation and all the way to the epitome of suffering, the cross. However, God's story doesn't end with suffering. It ends in victory over sin and the grave. But as we tread this world on our way to our true home, Paul paints for us a picture of the Christian life when he says we are to be sorrowful yet always rejoicing. So today we're going to look at this in two parts. This morning we'll examine the role of hope in this picture of the Apostle Paul's. And tonight we'll complete this message by focusing on purpose. Hope and purpose, two pillars of learning what it means to be sorrowful yet always rejoicing. So we're going to look at this in two points if you're taking notes. First, we're going to talk about hope, what it is, what it means. And then second, I'm not quite sure how to name the point because I want to try to come at it from a different angle, but I want to take an indirect approach to what Paul says to the Corinthians here. And I want us to look at the Corinthians and their relationship with Paul. We're going to kind of come at another point from a different angle. So that's the two, two things we're going to talk about this morning. My American Heritage Dictionary defines hope as to wish for something with expectation. If you think about that for a second, I think you'll agree. I believe this is consistent with the biblical understanding of what hope is. Although the scripture does take things further than that. 
In Hebrews 11, verse 1, we read, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So our hope as Christians is not some blind hope against hope that has no basis, but it is a hope that is provided by and guaranteed and backed by God himself through the completed work of Jesus Christ. And the assurance and the guarantee is the empty tomb. And also don't miss the point that in the definition of faith that we just read in the book of Hebrews, hope is actually an essential part of our faith. Saving faith in Jesus Christ is the assurance of what we hope for, the forgiveness of our sins and eternal life. Now that is something that should have us always rejoicing. <clears throat> I would love to know how many sermons have been preached on the topic of hope. There are many. And we can easily find biblical texts that talk about hope. You could look in the Psalms. There's lots of good texts you could preach from that would talk about hope in the Psalms. You could look at the book of Romans, just to, just to name a couple. Uh, probably my favorite is 1 Peter chapter 1, where Peter's talking to the... Um, to the brothers that are in persecution in, um, in Asia Minor. And he really talks about it best, in my opinion, because he, those people who are needing hope in trying circumstances, the kind of hope that it takes to live lives that are sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. However, what I want to do now is take a, look off, take a move off of the definition of hope, and I want us to look at this in a different way. And I want us to look at this text in 2 Corinthians, and in a, for the, like I said, an indirect manner as to why we should be sorrowful yet always rejoicing. But to see this, we need to establish some context. I believe that most of us don't have the kind of understanding of the Apostle Paul and his ministry that we should. I think it's just human nature, but in our minds, we tend to put Paul into modern terms. I think that we tend to think of him as in someone in the class of a traveling preacher or teacher who goes from town to town doing lectures or seminars and maybe a little preaching along the way, but that's not an accurate representation of Paul's ministry. I'm going to put a slide up here to help, help you follow with me for a second. I've got to move over to here. I hope you can read that. It may be a little small. I hope, anyway, if you can read it, good. And so what I wanted to do is, Paul's writing this letter that we read from, this is to the, to the church in Corinth. And the sequence of events from the beginnings of the Corinthian church go roughly like what you see on the screen. So in approximately the year 51, Paul establishes the Corinthian church while he's on his second missionary journey. At a date that we don't know, but we know where it fits in this sequence, there was a letter written by Paul to the church that he alludes to in 1 Corinthians, but we don't have that letter. In 54, there was a letter sent from the church to Paul with questions. 
you can you can dig through this. It's it, in the books of First and Second Corinthians. They allude to some of this, and some of it's mentioned in the book of Acts. So you you compile that, and you'll come up with this uh, list. And so, in fifty four, approximately, that letter goes from the Corinthian church to Paul with questions, and then Paul writes First Corinthians while he's actually in Ephesus in response to their letter to him. And then after Paul writes 1 Corinthians, he makes an unscheduled visit from Ephesus to Corinth, which was an ocean, about a three-day ocean voyage at the time. And then Paul is not happy with what he finds when he shows up in Corinth. And then Paul writes what is referred to in the scriptures as the severe letter. Okay? Paul has some very direct, we don't have that letter, but he writes that letter to the church at Corinth, and he's so, he's so worried, he's very concerned about how they're going to respond to this letter. In fact, he doesn't just dispatch this letter with a messenger, any messenger. He sends Titus, who was his partner in the gospel there, he sends Titus to Corinth with the letter. Well, Soon after that, Paul leaves from Ephesus on his journey, and he meets back up with Titus along the way. And Titus brings him some great news, that the people of Corinth have gotten that severe letter, and they have responded well. And so, and then Paul writes from his journey, he then writes the letter of 2 Corinthians that we do have, and then the few months or some period along that journey he actually stops in by Corinth for a visit with them for three months and, and what I'm trying to show here by putting this up here and explain this to you is is Paul didn't just give a seminar on some theology to the Corinthians and then walk away Paul had a deep relationship with these people he knew many of them by name and this developed and grew over a period of about five or six years, however we do the dating here. This was not a short-term thing, okay? He has a lengthy, lengthy relationship with these believers in Corinth. You know, this church was in a tough place. Corinth had a large population and was an important commercial cultural, logistical city in the Roman Empire. In our context, establishing a church in Corinth would kind of be like going to New York City or Los Angeles or Chicago, going to some big urban area. There were a lot of problems in this church, but Paul really was their pastor through thick and thin in good days and bad days. I want you to listen to the language that he uses. Don't, you don't have to turn there with me. But in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I'm going to read out of uh, 2 Corinthians, I'm going to read out of chapter, chapter 1, just a few verses. I want you to listen to this. This is the letter he wrote after he was very, con after the severe letter, and then he got the positive response. I'm going to read verses 3 through 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. 
For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation, and if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. As you probably already know, you know, the Bible was originally written without chapter and verse distinctions. These were letters written to people. The chapters and verse distinctions didn't come in until about a thousand years or longer after that. And while I'm like you, I need the chapter and verse, okay? I need that to be able to help me navigate my way through the Bible. I want to say to you, you know, that there are times when sometimes I wish they didn't have them. Because we all know what it's like to get a personal letter from somebody and you don't break it down into sections and sentences. You read the letter as a whole. And what I want to do is I want to challenge you this week in your own time to go back and read the, as much of you can. At least get six or seven chapters in 2 Corinthians. I want you to read it and just read it. Don't stop for a coffee break read it like someone sent you a letter a friend sent you a letter to talk to you that's that's the way that Paul writes this letter you cannot help but feel the intense personal connection that Paul had for this church we we see this as we read later you can read later in chapter 11 um, you know where Paul talks about his credentials and he talks about I'm not going to go to it now but he talks about his burden after he talks about all the physical suffering that he's had in his missions. And he says, then on top of that, there's the daily anguish that I have in, in, being, in, in keeping up with all the churches. Okay? He was not just some itinerant preacher that showed up there. He was a pastor, like our pastor, who was in here with us with a relationship with these people, and he was concerned for their souls. So, what's the point? How does this relate, how does Paul's relationship with the Corinthians relate to us today in being able to have hope and to live our lives as sorrowful yet always rejoicing? What I want you to see is that Paul's actions and writings paint a picture of a group of God's people who have plenty of flaws but are united in the application of the gospel in their own lives and the spread of the gospel in the world that they live in. Does that sound familiar? I'm going to read that again. Paul's actions and writings paint a picture of a group of God's people who have plenty of flaws but are united in the application of the gospel in their own lives and the spread of the gospel in the world they live in. Well, it should sound familiar Because if you think about it, this is an image of us. We should be our own example. You look at our little church here at Bailey. That's us. We got plenty of flaws. But we're united in the application of the gospel in our own lives and the spread of the gospel outside in in the world in which we live. 
We're moving along with the gospel as the wind in our sails, and each person's love for the brothers and those we hope to reach is exactly what our congregation in Bailey should be doing, just like we read earlier in chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. We need to recommit ourselves to the gospel and to each other so that as we move forward today into the rest of 2023, that our hope is being renewed daily by our example. Being renewed daily, and we should be strengthened so that we are sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, both as a church and individually. We have a basis for the hope that, stains, that, that sustains us through the troubled time, but as we look to, for the application of this text, there is an aspect that we also need to keep in the forefront of our minds. And so far, we've discussed some of this in nature of the sorrows that we experience in our lives, the, the sorrows that we have with the people that we love, with our families and our friends. And yes, that is, part, that is a key part of this text, to be sorrowful yet always rejoicing. But don't forget this part of the application because that's applied to important people in our lives. But this, don't lose sight that this idea of sorrowful yet always rejoicing is a clear picture of the gospel. The gospel is, we need to think of our sorrow and rejoicing in terms of our sin and then forgiveness through Christ. There's a clear picture of the gospel here. Just as we did in our corporate confession earlier in the service, we must see our sin for how serious it is, confess it to God, and receive the assurance of pardon that the Bible provides through the completed work of Christ. If you've never done that, then as we read in chapter 6 and verse 2, Today is the day of salvation. Be sorrowful as you confess your sins. Yet always be rejoicing because of the forgiveness in Christ. So see that picture in being sorrowful yet rejoicing, not just in the getting through the daily nitty-gritty of our lives, but in that constant picture it provides us of the gospel. As we close, think about how you want to live in this new year. I hope that you'll see the benefit of a life that is sorrowful yet always rejoicing. I pray that you'll have a deeper understanding of, how, of hope and how Christ uses his church to provide this hope to his people and of your role and responsibilities as a part of Christ's church and how we need our pastor and how we need each other to encourage and be encouraged as we seek to spread the gospel in our world. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example you give us of Paul and the church at Corinth. Thank you for forgiveness in Christ and everything that you show us in the gospel. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would bless it to our lives, that we would move into this year helping to keep things in perspective as we deal with the nitty-gritty of daily life and be sorrowful yet always rejoicing as we get through our circumstances and as we stay focused on the gospel. We ask these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. Uh, our